We're finishing up. If you remember, we did a series eight weeks worth, actually, of living victoriously in difficult times. And so it reminds me, I stop and think, uh, obviously we're in the middle of football season. Some of you are saying yes, some of you are saying oh no, because <clears throat> it's going to be on every channel all the time. But when I think about it, it's in full swing, and when you look at football, there's three facets of a football game. There's offense, there's defense, and there's special teams. And if you, uh, if one of them is weak, you're in trouble. In fact, there was one two weeks ago, and they made the statement it was the worst special team performance they'd ever seen in the history of watching it. Uh, very, very poor, and it cost the team greatly. But think about it. All three of them, to make a team successful, all three need to do their part. And the same thing happens, you know, even within those three the offense, defense, and special teams, you have other divisions. You're going to have linemen, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. You're going to have running backs. You're going to have quarterbacks. You're going to have your different receivers. You have the different cornerbacks, linebackers. And all of them have their own coaches. They all have their own meetings. But for the team to work, it all has to come together. And so I think about it. What I like to do today, then, is just do a summary of the last eight. Take one little bit out of each of the last eight sermons that we did, kind of a summary, one little bit from each one to try to help us to remember. I'll never forget when I was coaching Will's basketball team, and they were young, and what I was trying to do is each practice trying to set up, simulate what would happen in the game. What happened if the other team was on a fast break and there's just you on defense or two, and same thing when you were on a fast break constantly working through all these different drills. And uh, they were improving, but it never really seemed to click quite like you'd like it to. I went on a mission trip, kind of concerned to India. And when I came back, the parents came up to me and said, you should have been here. It all clicked. He said, I mean, and they're playing the best team in the league that never had won every game. They had never beat them, and they beat them pretty soundly. We beat them pretty soundly. I had no part of it, but it was great just saying they finally recognized what all the facets and finally put it all together, and it looked phenomenal on how they were playing as a team. And that's what we want to do here, too. We want to put all of it together, living victoriously. So if you remember, uh, you can turn over to 1 Thessalonians. We'll kind of look at some different ones. In week one, if you remember, we were talking about this a fact of life, talking about difficulties. And uh, I think most of us would agree that uh, difficulties is a fact of life that you have. And uh, notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3 and 4, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and he makes this statement, So that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourself know we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you, in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. So it came to pass, as you know. How have you ever been surprised when problems come? You know, a lot of times people think if you're a Christian, there is no problem. No. You just have somebody to be with you in your problem, but you will have problems. I think it's important to recognize you have the same thing in James 1, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter it's not if, it's when. So first of all, it's a fact of life 
But the second thing of that first week that we looked at is what is your focus? We're going to have trials, but what's our focus? And I think that's where we get into a lot of trouble is what our, what's our focus on? Uh, most of it is get you out of here, but, uh, uh, or why me? Let's look over at 1 Peter chapter 1 and think a little bit about the focus. So we're going to have them. 1 Peter chapter 1. And you'll, you'll notice what possessions we have. Now you think about the early church. What happened to some of these Christians with their possessions? They shared Well, they shared what they had in Acts, but then so many of their possessions and their things were taken from them. So what would you and I do when our things are taken from us? So I want you to think about the possessions he's talking about us in verse 3 to verse 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a what? Living hope. How many of us in the middle of a persecution are thinking about our living hope? That's a possession we have. Notice in verse 4. You uh Obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. How many of us think about our inheritance? They can take away everything else of mine, but they can't touch my inheritance in heaven. That's what Paul said. Remember, he was making the deposit and he was sure that God was keeping it for him. So, in the middle of what we're going through, how many of us are thinking about, hey, we got to live in heaven? You know, we have this inheritance. Notice in verse 5, talk about you and I, who are protected, is the word for garrison, by the power of what? God. I don't care who they are or how strong their military is, it is not strong enough to take on God and take it away. So in the middle of what all we have, we lost our health, we lost all these things, and for a lot of us we're at that age where we're losing a lot of things. We will not lose that living hope we will not lose you look at it too our inheritance or the power that God has to keep so when, one of the things that we're looking at what all we're losing and you know, I looked at it with all the stuff that's going on and we G and I looked a little bit about kind of what I'm talking about retirement and the rest of it and all of a sudden you look at the 401k they sent it to me and all of a sudden what? there isn't enough years working, working time left in me to make up what I just lost what do you do? Where is your focus? Is it on the Lord or is it on this? That's the second thing I think it tells you. Not only our focus should be on our eternal possessions that we have. Notice in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, it is nece- if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. First of all, the trials are passing. You may have them the rest of your life, but how long do you live? eternity so if I have 10 years left 20 years left what is that in comparison to eternity whatever trial we're going through is passing remember what I do have and what I'm going through is passing but we usually think that it's eternal what we're going through that's the third thing I think of our focus in verse 7 that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice, I think it's interesting, you're proving who you are. We're going through this, it's proving and refining and proving who we are. And how would us ever wish God had some other way to prove that we're a Christian and that we love Him? You look at the early church, how many times did it say they thank God because they suffered for Him? Why in Acts does it talk about the Philippian jailer coming to know Christ? Because people suffered for him. Our bigger question should be, how can I reveal you, Lord, to whoever I'm around while I'm going through this? So think about this. The first week was a fact of life. So our question would be, what's our focus on in difficult times? The second one, how often do I think of what I have? Or how often do I think of what I can reveal? I can reveal Jesus Christ to somebody in this difficulty. He may allow you to be this, so you go to this doctor so you can visit with this person at the doctor's office or whatever it might be. And so we never know. So, so week one was the fact of life. So week two, we talked about following Paul's example. And so let's just look at just the final part of that sermon in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He talks about in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so we despaired even life. How bad was it? I mean, it's bad. If you remember some of the others, he was had problems within, talking about what all these spiritual problems that he's trying to handle and exterior problems. So notice, go on in verse 8, even indeed we had sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raised the dead. First thing I think we need to realize is our self-sufficiency is not in us. And I think a lot of times God puts us in places because so many times do we think we can handle it. We get in places when in all our life we've been told to be self-sufficient. And so we try to handle it all in ourselves. And sometimes God puts us in places where we realize, I can't. And that's where He wants you. Because you, know, you look at the great victories of the Old Testament when they fought under like Jehoshaphat and all the rest. When they got to where they couldn't handle it or recognized it, it was good. Why did they fail at Ai? They were sent in the camp, and they only sent a small group. They thought, hey, we can handle this. How many times do you and I think, I don't need to pray about this. I don't need to do this. I can handle this problem. And we mess up. So I think it's interesting. One is our self-sufficiency is not in ourself. And the second one, you know, start in verse 9 and goes on to verse 10. Our self-sufficiency, our, our sufficiency is in Christ. So when we were recognized, we can get the strength from Him, we get support from Him, He gets the praise. And it's important for us to recognize it. So verse 10 and 11, talking about Christ, who delivered us from great apparel of death, will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope, and He will deliver us. And notice 11. 
you also joined in helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. So notice when you're having difficulties, follow Paul. Can you do it on your own? Do you need Christ? Or do you need others to shoulder it too? And notice the Corinthians were praying and others were praying and that's what he recognizes. Christ helped him through and the prayers of all these people helped him through. But how many of us are even praying or asking people for help or telling people to be praying? And I think it's important uh, that we really take it seriously when we go to the Lord in prayer. So you think about it following Paul's example. If you remember in Galatians 5, it tells you in verse 2 that we are, when a burden is, is excessive, we should share it. But in Galatians 5 and verse 5, if there are other burdens, we should carry ourselves. There's that fine line. When is this something I should handle? When is this so great for me that I can't handle and I need others to help me? And a good example would be, what about with, with, uh, with Moses and Jethro? Moses tried to do all the judging on his own, didn't he? And he needed help. Jethro showed it to him, he recognized it, and it was a lot better for everyone. So there's times when we can do it, but there's also times when we need help. And a lot of times, people recognize you need help before you recognize you need help. And be listening. So think about it. What burdens should I carry, and then what burdens should I unload? And I think it's important... You had the same thing, and if you remember in Acts 6, you remember when the Hellenistic Jews, widows, were uh, needing help. The church needed to help them, but the apostles said what? We can't, yes, it's a need, but we can't help you because if we do this, it's going to take away from what we're supposed to do. Let's get people that will help you. And we need to do the same thing. All right, notice then, so one is the fact of life and what our focus is. Two is follow Paul's example. We can't do it. But with Christ's help and other believers' help, we can. And the, the uh, third one, the third week, you remember, is how to deal with how you feel. You remember we did that one? <clears throat> and the first question is, we had two questions that week. What's God doing? How many of us ever asked that question? What are you doing? Why are you doing it this way? Why, why don't you do it that way? And I think it's important when we looked at it, if you remember in Romans 8, we don't turn to these, I'll get you uh, another one here. We'll stay in 2 Corinthians, but... If you remember, he's conforming us to the image of his son. You have the same thing in 2 Corinthians 3. He's conforming us to the image of his son through transformation. And transformation, and in Romans 12, same word, you're transformed from the inside out. And so I think it's important when we realize he's taking us from here to making us more like Christ. And for all of us, we have a ways to go. We will not make it until after our death, but that's where he's taking us. But it's important to recognize, how many of you think that he's taking you the wrong way? I think I could be more like you if you would do this, this, and this. So I think it's really important, we have to, which will be another message here in a minute that we looked at, is where is he taking me, but it's really a, a trust factor that you have in Christ. Does he really know what he's doing? Is he really all-sufficient, all-knowing, everything else? So I think it's important to recognize he's making me more like his son. And that's what I can rejoice in. 
what he's making me, not the pain that you go through. Nobody jumps up and down this time of year at practice when it's this hot outside. Oh, I love to run in pads when it's 100 degrees outside. But if you don't do it, what's going to happen on Friday night or Saturday or whatever it might be? The second question we asked was, what can I do when I'm in this? When he's trying to make what God's doing in me. So we looked, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Since you're in Corinthians, let's talk over to chapter 3. The first one, what can I do in the middle of this when I don't feel like it's going the right way? Verse 4 and 5 of chapter 3. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. First of all, the only way I can do it is how? Through the power of the Holy Spirit that's in me. I can't do it. Look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and tell me how many of you can do it on your own. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 in the love chapter and tell me how well that works on your own. You can do parts of it, but without the Holy Spirit help within you, you will not succeed for very long. So what can I do? One is I have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Notice in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry... As we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. How many of you get a little discouraged? How many of you think I've been a Christian for this long and I still lose my cool every two seconds? The same things that got me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, still seem to be getting me. I see some nodding of heads. Uh, don't lose heart. Don't quit. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Exactly what he wants you to do. You look at any professional sports person who's done it their entire life. Do they make mistakes? They do on every single play. There's somebody out of position every time. So realize our powers of the Holy Spirit. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Notice the second, the third thing it tells us. You know, it's interesting when you go down to verse eight and uh, following. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. How are you really feeling good by now? But notice what he does in verse 12. So death works in us, but life in you. Paul's focus was on who? Not what was going on in his life and all the persecution he was going through. He's looking at how it's helping other people. And I think uh, the nurses the same way, a lot of you are nurses, or if you're teachers, how many times do you have to think about the kid? If you're a nurse, you're thinking about the patient. Because a lot of them, uh, you know, you would kind of, if you're looking at just yourself, that's not, you're going to get very discouraged. But when that light bulb comes on, or when you see that person healing takes place, or they get to walk out of the hospital, or whatever it might be. So I think it's interesting. Our power doesn't come from us. We persevere. But we're looking at other people and not at ourselves. And that's one of the hardest things to do is to get our eyes off ourselves. Our eyes are almost always on ourselves. Notice also, what about the product? Notice in verse 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, 
But though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Well, that's a question we have to ask, too. Are we renewing it? Seventeen is interesting. For momentary light affliction. How many of you consider that light affliction that Paul's going through? But notice what it says. is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen, the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are unseen are eternal. Paul looks at the product. I'm going through all this for the Corinthians, and I'm suffering greatly. But they're coming to know Christ, they're learning the Scripture, they're learning these things, and it's an eternal thing that's going to be a benefit for them and for me. He looks at the product. What is it going to produce? Eternal. Most of us look at temporal. So I think it's interesting you're looking at it. But even again, like I said, what can I do? Well, he's in Corinthians. So we look at where's our power come from? It comes from Christ. Do I quit? No. Do I look at others or myself? Think about it. Do I, what's the product? The eternal product. But think in chapter 7, you'll see the last one talking about what I can do. And I gave you about 15. Actually, I gave you you remember that week I gave you, I called it the baker's dozen. And so we obviously can't look at all of them. But notice in chapter 7, in verse 5 to 7, what he says, all of us come out of Corinthians. For even when we came to you into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. So in other words, he's having constant, where do you get away from all of it? Eternal, external, everything. But God who comforts the depressed, comfort us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also the comfort with which he was comforted in you as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. In the middle of what can I do, how did Paul get encouragement? The coming of Titus. Hearing about how the Corinthians were doing well. You know, it was interesting... Uh, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, we sent a program in, uh, over you know, to Montana and just you know, getting the contact back, how much that meant to a person we send it to. You never know. We realize that so often people think it's alone. That's why I'm going to try to send back one this week. You're getting ready for heart surgery. Would you kind of like to know that somebody's praying for you? So I think it's important to recognize I can do things but I also can be a partner with somebody else as they're going through something. If you think about it, it's a fact of life. You can follow Paul's example. How do I deal with it? There's a lot of things I can do. You know, I can realize Christ is taking me on a journey. He's making me more like His Son. I persevere. And you think about it, I get the power from Him. I look at other people, what I can do to help them. And then also share it with people. We're partners together. Week four, if you remember, we did attitude and actions. And how does just have a great attitude we're in the middle of all? You think about it, it's one of those things. How many of you wish somebody else wrote the book of James? Consider it all what? Joy. Oh, how many of you are jumping up and down of joy? Look over in Romans chapter five, it's interesting. I think it's looking at this our attitude. So one of the attitudes, uh, obviously, was to rejoice. You rejoice in the product, not in the pain. And I think it's important for us to focus on the product of where it's taken us. Um, 
chapter 5 of Romans. We'll notice and get in verse 3. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. I've heard of a lot of things, but how many of you have ever exalted in your tribulations? That's what it says, doesn't it? Uh, he uses the word we. And why can you exalt in your tribulations? Let's keep reading. Tribulations bring about what? Perseverance. Perseverance brings about Character brings about hope. And hope brings about. So as you think about it, I think it's important our attitude we rejoice in the product, but the second thing is to remain in place. Some of us are in the middle of something, and I, it's tribulations there, and we want out, and we want out now. But I have to stay there in order to produce what I want. I'm sure when they're doing it with the metals, which would be a term that you have here, I'm sure when they throw the metal in to purify it and the dross comes to the top and they scrape it off, I'm sure everybody just loves to be melted and get that hot, right? Become liquid. And the impurities then come off. That's why it's amazing when you look at the last verse of Psalms 139, Search me, O God, and what? Try me in any way. How many of us really want God to eat? Look at Take my whole life, look through it, and show me what's wrong, and I'm going to change. Do we really believe that? See, so think about our attitude. But also, if you remember in James 1, we talked about, so our attitude, one, is to rejoice. The two is to remain in place. The three, if you remember in James 1 and verse 5, if any man lacks wisdom, do what? Ask of God. Ask of God. Request assistance. How do you really understand everything God's doing in your life? No. So we have to ask for our assistance. You remember he also says, but when you do, it's a walk of faith. Because sometimes he's going to tell you and it won't make any sense what he's telling you to do. Besides asking for that, I think it's interesting in Hebrews chapter 12, you stop to think about it. Do we have relatives? Our relatives made it. You remember, therefore, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us lay aside every weight that so easily besets us and the sin which so easily entangles us. So I think it's important to realize, have others made it? How'd they make it? Hebrews 11.6 Without faith is impossible to what? They made it, so they made it, and they're sinners like us. We can make it, but we have to follow what they did. And they follow the, the walk of faith. I think it's interesting too when you look at it, they restricted their vision on Christ and one of our biggest problems we do not restrict our vision. We get our vision on everybody else. Why do are they doing it? Why did you bless them? Why don't they have these problems? Why just my family? Whatever it might be. So you think about it. A prayer could be, Lord, help me to focus on the product and not the pain. Requesting assistance and you know an assistance to go through it and then also to examine I think it's important for us to do that asking for help and looking at it if you remember then the uh, fifth week we have the causes the conduct and the choices now we've already talked quite a bit about conduct and choices but what about the causes for a lot of our pain if you remember we it's not necessarily all of them, but we came up with, uh, with six of them. 
One of them is just the, it's the plight of all mankind. Genesis 3, we have the same nature. James 1, when you encounter trials. So we're all going to have uh, trials. We saw it in 1 Thessalonians. So part of it is it's the plight of all mankind. The second one we saw in 1 Peter 1, if you remember, was poor leadership. If the leadership of our state, our city, our country makes poor decisions, does it affect us? If we do in our family, it does. Leadership makes a difference in how it affects us. You also, if you got to chapter 2 and verse 20 of Peter, it's personal sin. Did personal sin cause David to be problem? Personal sin caused everyone from Adam and Eve all the way down. Personal sin can cause problems. And it's important for us to always, when things are going on, to ask the Lord, is this because of sin in my life? Not always. And often, you know, so I think it's important. That's why we have to ask for wisdom. Because we might have done something not even known it. But we have plenty of Job's friends who will tell us. I think it's important. The third thing I think is interesting, or fourth one, besides the fight of all mankind, poor leadership, our personal sin, is plan to reveal the work of God. Remember in John 9, remember they said, Who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, What? Neither is to bring glory to God. Well, if that's the case, and you're, you know, so we're in the middle of hard times and really struggling. We're praying, the Lord showing us it's not sin. What happens if He says, I want to use this difficulty you're going, going through to bring glory to me? What are you and I going to do? Are we going to say, Yes, Lord, use me, or no, Lord, get me out of here? Now, I think it's important to ask the question. And you think about it, the man was an adult by this time. So he has gone through this how many years? From birth all the way up until he is an adult. For this one event to take place, he'd gone through. You think of the woman with issue of blood. She had used all her money, go to all of the doctors, and none of it worked for what purpose? For she came to Jesus, and doctors can't do it, but Jesus can. So I think it's important for us to look at it trying to find the cause so that we then can recognize what do I need to do with it. You remember the fifth one we looked at? You remember Paul had the thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, and he prayed three times, and what did God say? Second Peter 12, he said, no, because it has a purpose. It's to keep you humble. How many of you love to hear that? We don't know what it was. Some of you know, we had a lot of different you know, people have guessed a lot. We don't know. But there's something physically that caused him a lot of pain. But it was to keep him humble. And then Paul's attitude was, I'm going to rejoice in my weakness. Okay? That's what the purpose is. I accept it. And I'm going to move on. But again, Paul knows it by doing what? Seeking the Lord. Praying, Lord, do you show me? And then the last one we looked at, was remember in Job 1 and Job 2, why was Job being tested? Because God said he's a righteous man. And Satan said he'll give up everything. So it's a public display of character. And Satan still has access to God and access to heaven every single day according to Scripture. And he's accusing every one of us every single day. Have any of you ever thought, well, have you considered Glenn? Have you considered Dan? 
That can be happening and we don't know. And how is Glenn or how is Dan or Grady or whoever is going to respond? So that's why I said the causes are important to, for us to really seek the Lord so that with His help we can know how to address it. If it's personal sin, let's confess. It's also told, if you remember in uh, James 4, if a person is sick, we use the medicine by all means. But you also, it says, for the sick to call the elders of the church to pray for them. What for? The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God can likewise use doctors, but God can also heal them with prayer of faith. So I think it's important. So think about it. So in week five, one of the questions we ask then is, what's causing the trial for us to think about? Week six, one of the hardest, I think, when we really are being honest, is Father knows best. And you think that the summary really would come out of Psalms 139. If you remember Psalms 139, who formed you in your mother's womb? Who numbered your days? So if that's the case, He put you together, He put me together with all the DNA and everything else. He has, who knows the best plan for you? Who knows you better than you know yourself? If that's the case, why do we fight him so much because we think what that we know better than he knows and he knows us better than we know ourselves he knows tomorrow we don't he knows all these things we don't and so I think it's important for us to really recognize in Romans chapter 9 also what does it tell him who's the potter and who's the clay and how many of us as clay are telling the potter what to make us? I will, you can do this, but you can't do this. And some are for honorable use and some for everyday use. And how many of us want to use for the special, nice things that we don't want everyday use? But which one gets used the most? Stop and think about it. Another one we looked at in week seven besides the Father knows best, and I think it's important for us to walk by faith in that because we don't really know where he's taking us. <clears throat> think about is who's the shepherd and who's the sheep? The shepherd's job is to lead, right? And the sheep's job is to... So you're going on a path that looks pretty dangerous. Do you know what's ahead? Do you know where he's taking you? stop and think about it. He knows there's a pasture up there. He knows there's water up there. But do you? You won't know unless you get close enough to smell it or see it. But you won't know. The same thing happened when I climbed Pike's Peak. I couldn't see the peak but I had to look at the map and I had to trust the map. With reading the contour of the mountain peaks around to do it. And it worked just fine until I took my eye off the map. And it made it much harder than it needed to be. Week 7, if you remember, we were looking at Second Chronicles 20 with Jehoshaphat. And if you remember, Jehoshaphat was being surrounded by this tremendous army. But he remember he had three booby traps in his life that cost him dearly. He made a marriage alliance that cost his nation dearly when his son took over. He made a war alliance that cost many men in his uh, nation to die that he shouldn't have made. He made a civil treaty 
that he never should have made either. All three he was reprimanded for. All of us have booby traps that are we our tendencies or weaknesses that we have to be careful of. They get us off track. But with Jehoshaphat, if you remember, when he was besieged, he turned to God, and God says the battle is mine, and tomorrow you just go out and stand and watch the victory. And what's amazing when you look at Second Chronicles twenty, they do exactly what they're told. They worship first, and then who leads the army? Who leads the people? The singers. Our praise team is going to go lead out. If you're going up against an army, who would you want in the front? I would want my mighty men in the front. My best warriors that have to come through first. I wouldn't want somebody out there with instruments because what are they going to do? But they were so they were so sure that God's message, they went out, went early and went out and were praising Him as they went out because they were sure of the victory. How many of us are going to trust and then obey? Most of the time, I'll believe it whenever I see all the enemy on the ground or whatever it might be, to trust and obey. And I think it's important uh, to praise Him along the way. When did they cross the Jordan? When they put their feet in the water. How many of us would have said, I'll cross when it's open in the dry I won't step in. And then last week, if you remember, the eighth one was stay on course. Joshua 1, if you think about it, what do you tell Joshua? Don't depart from this. Just like we want these little ones to do. Stay the course. You know, message to them would be Jesus and the Bible. They need that same thing, but we need it too. Joshua, what did he say? Do not turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Also do how much of it? All of it. And the third thing is meditate on it. How many of us don't really think about it all day long and we're making mistakes because the Word of God has not transformed us? Not that we're trying not to obey it. It's not in us enough to where we even can think about obeying it. I think it's interesting. He tells them not to tremble or fear. And was he going up against some pretty strong obstacles? You think about it. He didn't have the weaponry that the opponent had, nor did he have a walled city to hide in. But they had victory. So think about living victoriously. Is it a fact of life? Well, what's our focus on? Is it on what God can do through us and with us and with others? What about Paul's example? Are we going to have sufficiency in ourselves? No. It's in Christ, and we want to have others shoulder it along with us. What's God doing? He's making me more like His Son. And what can I do? I can then persevere looking at others and the final product and be a part of it. My attitude, remain in place, rejoice in what He's producing, and then also be thinking about requesting for assistance. How can I get through this? How can I see my way? The cause, we already mentioned a number of causes. We really need to look at it because if there's something that I need to do and confess, I need to do that. The Father knows best. So I need to trust and obey and stay the course. 
never know how many times we get and run before we should. As soon as you start running, that's one thing interesting. If you ever studied the Roman military, they only had weapons for the front. They had no protection for the back. All their protection was in the front because a Roman soldier was never to run. If he turns, he's open to anything the enemy shoots at him. He has no protection. So we need to stay on course. So think about it. 